Okay, Mark, finally got you on, man. We, we scheduled a few times, but uh, this is great. I've been looking forward to having um, you on the podcast. Welcome. Nice. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, so, I mean, you have a medical background. You're, you're a doctor, you, and you also have a training school, a training program where you train doctors and uh, clinicians on, um, I guess, passing their exams, if I remember correctly. So I really want to mine you as a resource because you have an interest in tech, you have an interest in entrepreneurship, you have an interest in, of course, medicine, and you're very well connected in those industries. So what do you think is, uh, I mean, we've been talking back and forth about this stuff, right? About COVID yeah. and its implications. And we were, right before we started, we were talking about how Walmart is going to increase, cease their operations as normal. I haven't heard about that yet. Can you talk a little bit more about what Walmart's doing and uh, what people can prepare for? I mean, I just heard about it this morning from some friends on Facebook and WhatsApp mm -hmm. that uh, Walmarts are going to be shutting down uh, in a week or so for 14 days or something like that. And we're just going to do nice. curbside pickup um, to kind of reduce the amount of foot traffic I'd imagine in all of their brick and mortar shops to kind of combat COVID and the spread. I mean, there's a lot of yeah. people walking around that might have it and they're asymptomatic, so they'll feel fine, but uh, you go inside Walmart and it's like a zoo, right? So yeah. it, makes, it makes sense. I mean, we're so dependent on Walmart right now. Like well, almost Walmart's everything the, we do. Well, that's, so that's, I guess, speaks to how big Walmart is, but Walmart's not the only place where you can go and grab all of your essentials. I mean, you can still go to uh, Food Basics or, mm. or Price, uh, what else is it? I guess, see, it's hard to even think of the other ones. Yeah, right. Like no one has a right name recognition. Like you need something, you think. You can go to Dollarama. You can go on Amazon. <laughs> I yeah. I ordered something on Amazon uh, about a week and a half ago, and I have Amazon Prime. And when I ordered it, mm. it basically told me that uh, even with my Prime membership, the estimated delivery would be April twenty second. And I was like, oh my everyone, God. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so everything, everything unilaterally is now April twentieth yeah. and later. But it came in a week, so and it wasn't an, oh. an essential item, so it was just. Okay. Some, stationary stuff so that's pretty good um but yeah i mean i don't think walmart i mean it was it recently that uh, mayor john tory or was it uh, doug ford who announced that they're going to close down all of the canadian tires as well and turn them into curbside uh, pickup because they're been deemed non-essential anymore oh wow or deemed no yeah they're not essential anymore yeah so they're going to do this across the board for all the big shops all the brick and mortars because it it's the only way we can kind of that curve that I was talking about. Otherwise, we're going to be sitting in like hibernation mode <laughs> in caves for the next two to three years. Uh, Jeez. Right? So. Yeah. I mean, one of the first people I called when the pandemic was called, uh, was uh, announced, was you. Hey, can you still hear me? Hello? Yeah, see, there, your signal dropped. Your screen yeah. froze. Yeah, I think the Wi-Fi is being overtaxed right now. Yep, we're back. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So this is a, this is the limitations of our time. We're so relying on Wi-Fi as well, right? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, just talking about that. So I mean, one of the first conversations we had was after the after the pandemic was called, was you know how long is this going to last? And and uh, you know, you're telling me about medical experts are talking about 18 months 
for it to a vaccine to come out. Is that still the case right now? Like what's you know what? So I, I mean, I don't work in the front lines. I'm not part yeah. of the public health. I mean, I try to keep up to date with articles and journals and anything that's coming out of credible sources. Um, and you kind of just look back at history and what we've kind of gone through before. So um, before we had COVID-19, we've had a couple of other little outbreaks here and there. Mm -hmm. um, we had Ebola in Western Africa, which didn't come across the ocean to North America. So we, most of us really didn't care much for it. Um, 2012, they had MERS out in the Middle East. Um, and so doctors that were out there kind of dealt with it. Um, 2004, we had SARS, which was kind of localized here in Toronto. Um, and again, it didn't really affect the markets. It didn't affect local economies too much. They kind of were able to um, keep it down in terms of number count. But if you go back even further, I mean, I'm always talking to people about the Spanish flu and that literally took three years. And um, the Spanish flu, uh, the actual strain of the Spanish flu is the H1N1. And we had the H1N1 uh, kind of uh, strain pop up in the media a couple of years ago, I think. Um, and the Spanish flu took out a lot of people back then. I mean, mind you, this was about 100 years ago. And so... They didn't have the kind of technology or the resources that we have now, but nonetheless, it still crippled nations and it, you know, brought basic large economies to their knees. So mm -hmm. right now you look at the way, I mean, we're in 2020 and we're finding it very hard to kind of keep this confined and bring the numbers down. Uh, we're, at, we're at the point where now anything coming out, any data coming out of China is now not really to be taken seriously yeah. anymore. Yeah, exactly. It's questionable. So, um, U.S., New York, they're getting slaughtered. Sad, I and mean, it's sad to hear that. I have friends who are mm -hmm. are practicing um, uh, as physicians in the U.S., and so I see the messages they post or talk to them on Facebook and hear about kind of the ordeal they're dealing with. And it's also a scary experience for these people because um, you're worried about bringing it home to your family. In terms of how long this is probably going to last, I mean, you can go conservative. I heard people in Toronto, friends of mine, are saying, "Oh, you know, we'll be good to go by you know, the end. Worst case, the end of the summer." But that's yeah. not going to happen because flu season, the the annual flu season, kicks in in September, um, mm -hmm. and so we're going to see a spike in people that are going to come down with symptoms of the regular flu, which is not based not the same as COVID. Um, and so that's going to put a strain on hospitals because now you have to separate people that may have COVID with people that may have the seasonal flu uh, and yeah. are coming in because of symptoms and so we're probably going to see maybe another wave um, I think there were some reports that China and the Wuhan province uh, had no new cases or, or they're slowly starting to go back to life as normal um, and this is temporary I don't I wouldn't imagine something like this some, I mean a, a bug that's this potent um, to kind of just disappear on its own. I mean, you have to think about it, but the, the coronavirus is what normally gives us seasonal cold. Um, when most of us have the sniffles or a runny nose or something like that, it's usually because of a strain of a coronavirus or a rhinovirus, uh, but it doesn't you know, debilitate us. Um, when we have something like this, COVID-19, this is, this is like a triple threat. I mean, it, 
it'll bring you to your knees, it'll cause massive pneumonia, uh, compromise your respiratory system, and even in the most healthiest of patients, I mean, people are dying, right? So it's not something so that doctors... Could you talk a little bit more about that, the variability of this? Because it seems that some people get sick and not show any symptoms. Other people who are extremely healthy will get sick and get completely taken down by this, right? Yeah. What is, what is with the so that's, disease that's giving such a varied outcome? Yeah, so now this is pure science um, and just the way that the human body is built. Uh, it, it really comes down to your own basic immunity. Um, some people just have really good immune responses. Uh, people that are, uh, may have been passed down through genetics, you know, for example, newborns when they're born, those that are breastfed, they get all of their immunity, right? All of their antibodies to fight off uh, newborn illnesses from mother's breast milk. And so it's one of the reasons why doctors uh, encourage women to exclusively breastfeed for the first six months to a year. So they can get that immunity from the mom, right? So um, when we go and get, I don't know if you get the flu vaccine, I get the flu vaccine in our household because we have little ones. Um, and it's important for people to get the flu vaccine. And it's not because it's not gonna, I mean, you don't get the flu vaccine to prevent you from getting the flu. It's just to help boost your immunity. Um, so I'll give you an example. So when the seasonal flu, the influenza virus, there are so many hundreds of different strains. And every year when we get the vaccine, all they're doing is collecting the most commonly presenting strains from around the world. And they put it together and that's kind of how they make the vaccine. And they give it to everybody the following year in case one of those strains pop up. Um, sometimes it's, it works and sometimes there's a new strain because these viruses, every time they multiply, there's the, their genetic makeup changes. And so that's how these variations occur. COVID is so new to us right now that we're still trying to fight off. I mean, we don't even know what the strain is. We're, everyone just talks about COVID-19, but COVID-19 isn't just like one strain. Um, there was an article that came out that said the strain in China was different from the strain that popped up in mm -hmm. the UK, right? So it's obviously, it's, it's mutating. Um, the, the, back to your question, some people who are completely healthy get taken down by it. Other people who have certain comorbidities or underlying uh, health conditions may have no symptoms at all. It may, you know, they may have, like there was one article I read where um, a, a lady in her middle age, all she had was headaches for a couple of days. And that's not even on the list of symptoms that you're looking mm. to find. I mean, right now, if you go on Health Canada, they tell you that uh, anyone that presents with a high fever, a dry cough, uh, shortness of breath, uh, should be highly suspicious of COVID. But then there's also people that have said, well, I've had some other symptoms like diarrhea, headache, um, sneezing, although that's not, uh, just because you sneeze doesn't mean you have COVID. Yep. Um, Lost your video over here. Yeah, yeah sorry. Um, yeah. So what? So it's hard to tell at this point. All the healthcare workers are doing right now is assessing, uh, screening, and quarantining, just to keep the numbers down. And anyone that has the symptoms or anyone that's been compromised because of their health, they've got to treat them. And that's why you hear all over the news right now about these ventilators. And people who. So the problem is the pneumonia that this. I mean, COVID-19 is basically causing an upper respiratory infection that then leads to a lower respiratory infection, which is why it affects your lungs, right? So normally when someone has pneumonia, it's usually just on one side of the lungs for the most part. 
Um, but with COVID-19, it's it affects both lungs, and you have to remember why when the, when these virus or viral particles are kind of replicating, they're destroying the host cells, and so when a cell breaks down, all, all that content leaks out. So that's why you've got all that pneumonia, the fluid in your lungs, if you want to simplify it that way. Um, and so I don't know, man. It's it's right now so we don't have that much data. Can we talk about the symptoms there a little bit? Like, uh, like I won't keep talking about dry cough, but then you have symptoms of pneumonia. Isn't pneumonia like, uh, like um, fluid in the lung? Like yeah, so you can have typical pneumonia, which is like the standard set of symptoms that most people think of when someone has pneumonia. So shortness of breath, maybe chest pain, high fever, uh, chills. Um, and then on when we, when we listen to a person's lungs, we can hear what we call crackles. Um, it's the sound of the lung not being able to expand because there's fluid around it. Um, and then you have atypical symptoms. So people that, someone can have atypical pneumonia, which means they have pneumonia if you look under a chest x-ray, but they don't have the telltale symptoms. And that could be due to something else, for example. Um, um, for example, if someone has an underlying heart condition and their heart's not pumping properly, that'll lead to fluid leaking into their lungs, right? And so um, that could cause crackles and rails and things of that nature. Um, but right now, I think what Health Canada has, uh, and what most of the local city public health offices have announced is if anyone has a high fever, shortness of breath, uh, and a dry cough, you should be highly suspicious that you might have COVID, right? Um, and then the other thing is, great, so you have it, but then how do you treat it? I mean, that's the other problem with a lot of people don't realize this. When you have any sort of viral infection, you don't have antibiotics for viruses. Um, viruses and bacteria are completely two different types of organisms. Mm -hmm. um, and viruses just basically have proteins that are encompassing the DNA material or RNA material, and that's basically what they use to replicate themselves. Um, they're not actually growing yeah. like bacteria. Yeah, viruses right? are like are like more like machines, whereas bacteria yeah, exactly. are organisms. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And so that becomes a problem when we're trying to fight it. Um, like it's nice. I mean, I find it interesting when we're reading right now. So I, I know someone who's in the hospital uh, who's dealing with COVID. Um, mm -hmm. A friend of you're, hold on, you're breaking up. Um, and so two are physicians who are treat, uh, treating patients right now that have uh, patients with COVID. And a lot of the times it's, it's not much you can do. Like I said, because it's a virus, we're just trying to make sure that the body can innately. Yeah, I'm losing uh, you again. I think you froze. Yeah, yeah. Can you hear me? Hello? Yeah, we're back. Yeah, what'd you hear last? Um, you're, you're a friend who's dealing with the symptoms of COVID in the hospital? Yeah, so, yeah, so I have a friend of a friend who's in the hospital right now who mm -hmm. is fighting uh, with COVID. And I have friends who are physicians who are treating patients with COVID. So I'm always trying to figure out what is the healthcare, what's the healthcare system doing right now in terms of management? Um, because it's a virus, again, you can't prescribe them antibiotics. But because they have a high fever, we can give them something to bring down the fever. So Tylenol has always been the mainstay, part of the treatment plan. Um, and then other things to kind of ensure that their body is able to kind of recover on, on their own. So because this is a pneumonia, 
I mean, you need to breathe and your lungs need to expand in order for you to breathe. But if you've got water in your lungs, you're basically drowning. Yeah. And so the people that get ventilators will then help pump the air in and out. You're not exhausted, trying to breathe on your own. Um, yeah, you're breaking up again. Jeez, man. This, this is so horrible. The signal dropped again. Yeah. I don't know what's going on. Usually it's uh, it's way better than this. Hello? Here we go. I'm back. Yeah, yeah. Can you hear me? What was the last thing yeah. I said? Um, not sure. I'm kind of started crackling and then it kind of dropped off. So can you just start off? Just continue on your train of thought. Um, so when we're talking about I guess the mainstay for treating patients with COVID yeah ventilators yeah 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 so we so usually Tylenol to bring down the fever um, and if if they can't breathe on their own then that's when we bring in the ventilators and the ventilators mm -hmm. will help them breathe for them while the body recovers on their own I mean again we're not giving them anything to to fight the actual viral infection the body's supposed to kind of do that on its own so we're hoping and praying that their own immune system is is taking care of that so everybody's immune system is different some of us if we have various excuse me health conditions we may have a weaker immune system and so it might it might be more of an uphill battle um for other people it won't hurt them as much i mean we hear about athletes that get it and they don't really get taken down by it i mean athletes they're more physically conditioned i'd imagine they'd have a stronger healthier immune system so they can fight these kinds of things versus you know the individual who's sitting at home all day eating high sugar high starch foods not exercising um, if they were to contract it we might be in a little bit difficult situation um, and then there's other things that that's been coming up in the news so uh, people are saying that you should take a lot of vitamin c and vitamin d high doses uh, to help fight covid um, which is true and not true vitamin c and vitamin d all that does is really boost your immune system mm -hmm. Right? It doesn't really actually fight COVID. It gives your immune system that added kind of boost of energy, I guess, um, or willpower, if you want to call it that. Mm -hmm. um, what else are they talking about? Uh, chloroquine and hydroxychloroquine is something else that has been coming up. But this is, so hydroxychloroquine is something that we use to treat malaria. Um, and there haven't been any major studies that have proven that it works. Um, I, I mean, hydroxychloroquine helps to kind of inhibit the virus from attaching to the host cell um, or inhibit the virus from replicating. So in essence, in theory, it should work. I think the only study that they did came out of China. So again, are we really going to trust the data from that? I think mm -hmm. the US and the UK, maybe even Canada are running their own independent studies. I know Donald Trump is kind of pushing for hydroxychloroquine. Um, there's been talked about using patient's plasma. So plasma is basically your blood minus the, the actual cells. So if someone who had it, uh, who had COVID-19 and recovered, if we were to take their plasma, they've got antibodies in there and we can just give it to people who are sick and hopefully they can kind of leverage those antibodies uh, to get them feeling better. So there's so many uh, different suggestions on how to fight this. Eventually we'll yeah. figure out how to do it. Um, but in the so meantime, how how is the scientific community being mobilized um, to test and uh, resources? 
yeah, so this is where now science kind of uh, crosses over with entrepreneurship and, and the startup community, right? So this is why it's fascinating. So you've got a lot of companies. I mean, there's companies now coming out of Silicon Valley. Uh, I think even out of Mars here in Toronto. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. people who are trying to leverage the technology that they have, the resources that they have to see if they can't almost retrofit whatever they were doing to somehow help in the battle against COVID, um, whether it be to help assess patients or screen patients or um, help them. Uh, so here, a simple example is the, the ventilators right now that, are, that the U.S. is kind of desperate to have. And you've got companies like te- Tesla that are you know, taking apart pieces from their Model 3 and putting together a ventilator. Um, you've got, so you've got company, tech companies that are offering their services in that regard. I think it's kind of, I mean, it's, it's sad in a way that all, the, all of this ingenuity and innovation is happening as a result of this pandemic. But it's also fascinating because if you kind of fast forward maybe five, 10 years from now, think about all the new technologies that are going to arise as a result of this. Um, I'm kind of interested in AI. So I think AI and machine learning is going to have a big role. I mean, I think it's probably already doing it right now. I haven't come across any specific articles, but um, if you, if you, just if you think of what AI is capable of doing and um, being able to use machine learning to help screen and filter and assess. And I mean, imagine if I were to take a drop of your blood and uh, we kind of Put it through a computer and the computer would tell us a general risk level of whether or not you might contract it contract COVID, mm. or it could read your level of antibodies and tell us even if you did contract it what's the likelihood of you actually you know succumbing to the infection versus being able to fight it off i don't even think technology like that exists right now yeah that seems pretty hectic <laughs> yeah but it, it sounds cool right i mean you're, yeah. this is almost not, not at the forefront and since we're since you're in tech, it's interesting. So I read an article that uh, said that was it like four years ago, venture capitalists used to spend like um, what was it, uh, like 30, 20, 30 million dollars. And this was like 2012, 2013. And then four years later, VCs were dropping like hundreds of millions of dollars into mm-hmm. startups if they mentioned that they were doing some form of AI machine learning. Uh, you know what I mean? So um, there's definitely opportunities for people in the tech community or people in the startup space, entrepreneurs who are trying to come up with ideas uh, Absolutely. on how they can. So I'm, I'm a little more interested in the research community, right? So research, uh, like, like how academia and the research industry is kind of it's been set up was during the last industrial revolution, right? By like, like the capitalists that came out of came out who succeeded out of that who funded all these institutes and research firm and um, hey you're all oh yeah can you hear me now oh man hello hello There we go. Ravi, I, have no, I have no clue what your question was. You were breaking up from the beginning. Of the start. Yeah, it, it was less of a question, but an observation, right? Like, so the medical, uh, especially the research community, right? The academic, academia and the research side of things where they're cr- doing trials and clinical research. The infrastructure for that was kind of set up during the last industrial revolution, right? During, where mass production came to be. 
and like the the winners of that the capitals that came out of that funded institutes and uh, and societies that that really drove uh research and and looking into it like it's kind of been backdated in a way that like there are gatekeepers when it comes to research right where it kind of slows down the the research pipelines and a lot of politics too right if you want to get your get yourself published well the editor in charge of that publishing uh journal you know might not have have a viewpoint of what is like the the, the um i guess the paradigm that they believe in right especially in the especially in the soft sciences but in hard sciences scientists like it's it's been an issue like uh, one of the key issues I'm, i'm learning about was when um dna was coming into forefront right this is way back when so when dna was being researched they didn't know if it was dna or proteins that pretty much built with the building blocks for life and, and individuality right so it, like there was two forefronts of thought and pretty much people picked sides and it was a lot of like uh, a lot of capital uh, i forgot what institute that did it but the carnegie carnegie of the world and wall street kind of picked they picked dna to be the winner and they funded projects and funded research in that field to pump it up in the in the idea of building the pharmaceutical industry so the pharmaceutical industry and academia was built by wall street and by and by industrialists uh to kind of be, create a whole new market aka the pharmaceutical industry right and the research behind it and right. because of this gatekeepers were put into into play with research with these journals and 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 uh, and all these things that kind of sideline certain research and pick and choose other research like it took 80 years for us to come back and say that yes dna is the building blocks of life our proteins also have a play in it so now we kind of have this hybrid model and that was kind of sidelined and slowed down because of the politics and the and the money that was pumped into one side of that research sure right? yeah so i believe it. so this is one of the biggest problems in research and and and, and studies is there's a lot of political and money behind it behind the scenes with these gatekeepers kind of holding the uh, holding the reins I'm kind of wondering if like this kind of situation is emerging to kind of breaking down those barriers and and allowing for um I guess less um less obvious tracks of research or methodologies and and research to get out to the public. Do you see anything like that? That's interesting. So my background is not in research to any degree. In fact, mm-hmm. I kind of hate research altogether. When I was a medical yeah. student, I did some research and I couldn't <laughs> find myself sitting in a lab, you know, titrating all day or or doing electrophoresis or anything like that. Um but i believe it i mean but now we're talking more about politics and lobbying and people who have influence through money and power who can kind of persuade the powers that be so when you're talking about uh, dna and versus proteins i mean that's kind of what the basis of gene therapy is right i mean pharmaceutical companies made made a killing off of being able to create certain medications that played to someone's genetic makeup uh, and yeah. help them overcome certain sicknesses and diseases and were the people that uh came up on top absolutely i mean we're talking about like the re- the industrial revolution so i mean all of this stuff that happened uh in terms of like so we talk about the US being like the powerhouse uh in the world in terms of strong economy and jobs and innovation and yada yada but that only resulted because of circumstance um mm-hmm. if you go back to world war 1 and world war 2 mm-hmm. and world war 1 everybody got crippled for the most part and it's not necessarily because one country had a better army than the other it's also because during that time they were also fighting the spanish flu yeah and countries 
basically got wiped out from infection. Yeah. Um, like uh, Canada, I think only lost about 50,000 people, but the U.S. lost lost over half a million people to the Spanish flu yeah. 100 years ago. Um, Iran <clears throat> lost, I think, a quarter of, I think a quarter of their population back then. That's a lot. Oh and Iran is like old school Persia, right? So yeah. they, they've been around for a while. Uh, yeah. But then after World War One, so what was interesting is before World War One happened, we're talking about like Industrial Revolution. Uh, Henry Ford, when he was building out his cars, started using other companies started using the I guess the assembly line and the, and the processes that he created to build tanks and stuff to help fight the wars. And then so that gave the U.S. a bit of a, a leverage back then. World War II, uh, with the, the Nazi regime coming into play, the U.S. was able to kind of capitalize uh, because of whatever they did and certain uh, decisions that they made that ultimately ended in the Germans losing the war. Um, mm. But since then, the U.S. has been booming, right? And so they've been able to kind of have a strong footing, even though you've got countries like China and Singapore, the, um, Israel, that are also very strong nations that have a lot of innovation, that they have a lot of tech. Uh, China's big for manufacturing. Um, right now, a lot of issues are happening because of COVID. I mean, we're basically dealing, we're going through a recession. No one wants to say it. Uh, but if you look at the markets, if you look at what's happening around the world, it sounds like we're going into, if, if we're not already in it, uh, a, a recession of, of sorts. Um, and even through all this, now people are trying to decide who stays on top because someone's got to come out on top. Mm. Um, and, and it's whoever comes on, out on top that's going to be able to make decisions for the next you know, 20, 30 years because they can leverage the success of them being able to, I guess, beat COVID in their nation. Uh, like right now you've got nations that were bickering before COVID not helping each other, right? Like everyone was upset with, uh, with, uh, with uh, Russia and then Putin's like helping them where, by sending them masks and sending them uh, PPE and things like that. So what happened to the argument we had beforehand? We do, I mean, do we not talk about it anymore? Or what about the, the protests that were happening in Hong Kong? As soon as COVID came out, everybody stopped protesting and went home. Yeah. Right? So, so there's a lot of underlying um, plays that are happening, and no one, most most people don't pay attention to these things because it doesn't really affect them. Or and at this point, we're all just worried about staying alive and staying safe and making sure our our family is taken care of. But you're right. I mean, there's gonna be something. I mean, there's underlying plays that are happening that we don't see that will affect a lot of different industries. And we were talking about it before. Um, mom and pop shops they're probably going to get hit hard and the way we do business is going to change. And now people are saying, well, if everyone's working from home, what's the purpose of going to the office anymore? Like once we get better and they, you know, remove the red tape and say, everybody go back out and enjoy life. How many more, how many employees are going to say, well, you know, I've kind of been okay functioning at home. Why do I need to come to the office? Right. And so I don't know. There's a lot of things that are going to happen as a result of this. I find uh, hopefully we all stay alive and safe to witness it. Right. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Um, I think that's the main part of this is the changing landscape of everything, right? From global yeah, politics yeah. to localities, from uh, entrepreneurship to supply chains. Everything's kind of shifting very quickly. Yeah. Uh, and if you're an entrepreneur, um, your mind's also churning the, the entire time trying to see where can I kind of fit in a product or create something that will add value somewhere along this value chain. Um, <coughs> specifically 
in this opportunity? I mean, it sounds almost selfish that you're trying to capitalize during the crisis, but that hasn't stopped Amazon from, you know, projecting crazy figures, you know? So um, there are people, like I, I have friends who buy sell stocks right now and they're playing the market based on mm. and the market right now is reacting on fears and whatever uh, President Trump says and what's happening over in China and um, people want to get on, on top I feel um, they want to they don't want to let go of the cushy kind of safe life that they had before um, yeah that's a whole other discussion in yeah. Itself. <laughs> yeah man for sure so what about yourself uh, with the entrepreneurial background like, what do you what are you trying to do? Because I know um, we're already we were talking about you, know, you have three conventions that you're trying to put together this year. Oh yeah, conferences, yeah. right? That's all up in the air. So your time is freed up. What's uh, anything you're looking into doing? Yeah, so yeah, let's talk about those conferences. So we started that company up this year, um, essentially to create and run some niche trade shows and conferences uh, in spaces that I'm kind of familiar with. Uh, but because of COVID, I mean, every trade show and every conference in the entire world has basically been postponed. Yeah. Because this was our first year running it, um, we lost a little bit of money. Actually, I wouldn't say lose. We were able to spend the money to get uh, some awareness and the word out and help kind of generate some brand awareness. So there is value in that. But now it's just a matter of deciding when we actually want to run it. So <coughs> all right now been put on the back burner. Um, and I'm focusing on some of my other things. So I run an exam prep class for physicians. We do licensing prep for anyone that wants to practice medicine in Canada. Um, historically, we've always done it through the, a classroom-based approach. Um, but obviously, we can't have people in the classrooms and group settings anymore. So I'm in the midst of right now creating online content that we'll be able to deliver in about a month's time. Um, and we'll see how that goes. I mean, it's just about kind of pivoting and adapting with circumstances, right? So yeah. this is a business that I've been doing for quite a number of years. It's brought tremendous challenges as well as success. And so it's not something I'm about to let go. Um, we still get emails and phone calls every day from physicians around the world inquiring about when our next classes are. I guess they're not, a, I mean, they're completely oblivious to what's happening around the world, but they still want to be able to write <laughs> their exams. Um, and so it's good to know that we still have that market. Um, and then you know, I own a couple of other little side hustles or side So just a, just a little bit about that. So there was a article I wrote about, uh, I read about, um, I think we tagged each other on it on LinkedIn about Canada opening up its regulations for foreign doctors to get the license here, right? So what's yeah. going on with that? Yeah, so on our end, we created a, a, a page on our website to kind of aggregate all of these links and resources and uh, was it yesterday or the day before uh, the government of Ontario created a new marketplace, an online marketplace to connect uh, skilled healthcare workers with hospitals and healthcare facilities that are looking for the, the extra hands. Um, the article that we'd shared on LinkedIn was more of the government, I think, wanting to incentivize or encourage the regulatory bodies, the the, the college, the, the physicians licensing colleges. So here in Ontario, you have the CPSO, the College of Physicians and Surgeons of Ontario, that oversee physician licensing and temporary permits and all that kind of stuff to see if whether or not they can kind of mobilize a lot of these skilled physicians that don't necessarily have the credentials yet to work 
Um, where are we now with that? So I have a lot of friends who are physicians in the city um, in various different roles, uh, different hospitals. So I kind of messaged them and emailed them and kind of picked their brain about it to see what their take was. And right now, from what I've been hearing, um, most of our hospitals in the GTA, in terms of physician manpower, are kind of capable with what they have. Um, they don't need additional aid from foreign, foreign doctors. Um, I, can't, I don't know if that can be said about nursing staff or support staff, but I know on the physician front, the hospitals are managing with, what, with the roster that they have, which is great. We don't want to be in a position like New York, um, where you know, it's kind of frightening just to step foot into your workspace, knowing that you might not come out. Um, but I mean, it's a, I mean, it's kind of, you, if you're an internationally trained physician, you want to help, but you know, you can't help unless the circumstances become more dire, but then you don't want it to get worse either for personal yeah. reasons, obviously. Right. So of course. Um, at this point, I don't think there's been much progress from what I heard in the grapevine is I think the college issued maybe 10 or 12 temporary permits. And these permits are only 30 days long. And there, there are some caveats. It's not like, it's not enough that you just went to medical school somewhere in the world. You had to have. Sorry, so these uh, are permits to work? Permits for, permits for international doctors to work? So, you know, don't quote me on this. These are basically yeah. temporary restricted uh, permits to, I'm not even sure you're getting paid for this. Uh, mm. I'm pretty sure it's voluntary basis. Um, but you have to have a sponsor. So you need a hospital or a healthcare facility to, to kind of give the college, the green light and say, yes, we'll, we'll bring this physician in under our supervision so that they can help us specifically only for COVID. So if you were, for example, in, you know, an orthopedic surgeon from the Middle East, you're not going to come here and all of a sudden start doing uh, hip and knee replacements during this time. That's not why you're, they're giving you the permit. They're giving you the permit to help offload the additional, you know, uh, stress on the system because of the COVID crisis. But again, Canada, I think, is doing pretty good in how we're managing it. I mean, I think today they just announced a massive increase in the case count. Um, so, again, I, the, the days, every day it's a different thing. I mean, I mean, Prime Minister Trudeau, every day he comes on and gives us some more information. And, and that's the other thing. The government's like printing money left, right, and center right now, trying to bail everybody out. And eventually this is going to come bite us all back in the butt. Um, but right now we're on survival mode. Businesses are trying to survive. Families are trying to survive, right? So you do what you need to do. And we're at the point where it's just like, uh, let's do everything that we need to do now. And then we'll look back at it all later. Uh, once we come out at the other end. No, there's no, like, let's not hire the consultants and run all the risk analysis right now. We don't have time for that, right? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. but yeah. Cool. Um, I guess one last thing I have asked for you. Any cool projects you're seeing right now that you're following or? Yeah, super interested in yourself. Yeah. Anything that has to deal with AI, I'm kind of big on right now. I mean, I've been kind of learning myself. I'm not a data scientist by no means. Um, but anything that has to do with the AI, machine learning, neural networks, and deep learning, that kind of stuff, specifically in the healthcare sector, uh, I'm fascinated by. Um, and there's lots of opportunities. Uh, it doesn't have to be something massive or kind of generic. You can go niche and find something that's targeting just a specific kind of sub-market. Um, 
for me, particularly because of what I do with education and teaching and uh, just medicine as a whole, um, I think personal medicine, personalized medicine uh, is something yeah. that I'm fascinated by. Um, electronic medical records and personal healthcare records is something that I've always been intrigued by. Uh, maybe finding an ecosystem that will allow us right now to kind of bring that, merge that all together with the added benefit of having AI, I think yeah. would be helpful. I mean, we're almost now venturing into like, like uh, machine-based physicians. You know what I mean? Like you've got a computer now being able to diagnose and treat and kind of eliminating the physician aspect or the human aspect altogether. And people might not like that, but there's, I'm sure there's an ecosystem that will allow us to work hand in hand with both our computers and our patients. Um, and so that's something that I'm interested yep. in. I'm interested in. I'm always reading stuff on that, trying to see if there's something that might uh, spark some interest. No, definitely. Yeah, no, this has been great. Um, what are your thoughts on Darwin AI? Have you, have you been following them? Darwin AI? Out of Waterloo? No, I haven't. Out of Waterloo? No, no. So Darwin no, AI, no, no, no. Uh, they have a medical um, imaging AI. Like, um, I guess, um, what is it? All the, all the medical scans, x-rays, x-rays, well, I can't talk. Um, x-rays, sonograms, all the stuff, and they can, can pick up things. Anyways, oh, they yeah. okay, currently so retooled. So what did they retool, retool for? Right. Yeah, hello, can you hear me? Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, you suddenly just went a little quieter. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, Darwin has retooled themselves for um, coronavirus detection. So nice. take scans of, I guess, people's lungs and see, you know, if it's a coronavirus infection or not. I, I think so, right? And they, very early on, they pivoted really quickly uh, to allow for this. Um, have you checked them out or are you familiar with the space? I'm familiar with the space. So that's the beauty of AI. Like in healthcare, you can use computer technology and machine learning to collect a vast amount of data and kind of feed it into the computer and tell it this is all normal stuff. This is kind of the diseases. Look out for these things and tell us when you see it. I mean, that's basically what we're telling with artificial intelligence. Um, it makes sense for people that are coming in with COVID-19 symptoms. If we feed a bunch of normal chest x-rays and then feed those that have positive findings of COVID-19 and the pneumonia as a result, then the computer should be able to detect it. I mean, with some level of accuracy, I guess. Uh, I'll check up on it. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that that's happening right now in healthcare. There are so many different ways where, and it's not even just in diagnosing and treating, just on the administrative side or on the workflow side, you can use AI to kind of speed up processes to make physician's life a lot easier. I'll tell you one of the pain points that a lot of doctors have right now that I talk to is just the amount of paperwork that they have to do um, when they see a patient. And it takes up a lot of their time. And so if there's, you know, an opportunity to create something or unless it already exists, and a lot of my doctor friends don't know about it, um, to free up some of that time. I mean, time, you can't put a price tag on time. And for a lot of these doctors, if they have more time, they can see more patients or they can spend more time with their family. Um, and if you can create some form of an AI tech that will kind of speed up and simplify uh, their charting without obviously causing any sort of errors um, or some things like that, I think it would be an opportunity to kind of venture into. So with the current shift right now into virtual healthcare, right? With telematic solutions. Yeah. Sorry, not telematic. Oh my God. Telehealth solutions, right? 
Um, is there anything being deployed right now in that kind of sense? Is, does that kind of, those kind of systems kind of make it easier? Can you hear me? Um, so it depends, yeah, I can hear you. So it depends, I guess, on what that virtual platform is offering. I mean, if it's, just, if it's nothing more than just a video conferencing of you telling me what, how you feel and, I tell, and me telling you, you look sick, go to the ER versus this is nothing, just drink some tea, then that's one thing. But then, so, I, so a lot of my friends right now who run, who work in family medicine, they're not seeing patients uh, in person. They're seeing them only through uh, phone calls, emails, or through virtual platforms like the Ontario uh, Telehealth Network, right? So um, the downside with that is they don't get any data. I mean, I won't know what your heart rate is. I don't, can't listen to your lungs over, the, over a computer screen. I mean, I, don't, I can't collect any objective data from you except for what you tell me. I mean, if you're telling me that you've got a high fever, that doesn't really tell me much, right? Unless I actually know your temp. Uh, and if you're telling me that your chest hurts and I can't listen to your lungs or listen to your heart, my hands are somewhat tied. So the information I'm giving you isn't going to be the most accurate. And so then there are issues with liability and all those kinds of other things. But I think, like I said, from what we spoke about before, because of this COVID crisis, there's like all these different telehealth virtual platforms coming up right now because they're easing the workload and kind of addressing an immediate need. We'll worry about all the legality stuff kind of later, uh, um, I think. I, mean, I think that's kind of in the direction they're going. There's definitely a place for virtual health moving forward, just because, I mean, imagine now with what people are thinking and we get through this whole COVID crisis, how often are you gonna be going into your doctor's office and sitting in a waiting room with all a bunch of other sick people not worried that you might contract something? Um, I don't know, would you? Or would you rather just call up your doctor and say, look, this is what I have. I just need a prescription refill. I'm just here for my, uh, just to check out my sugar levels or you know, I just got some, my chronic back pain is kind of flaring up again. What do I need to do over the phone? Um, so mm -hmm. opportunities for sure. How they go about it, there's a lot of intricacies, I guess intricacies that still need to be kind of ironed out, but there's a lot of players. So hopefully one, it's, it's just a matter of one person doing it learning from their mistakes of making a mistake and all of us learning from that mistake and moving forward. Um, yeah. Perfect. Yeah. We're nearing the end of the hour. So then this has been great. Nice. Um, really enjoyed this conversation then. I think yeah, uh, I might even, we might have to uh, redo, like not redo this, but have you on again to talk a little more, more about this uh, topic, especially since some of this, uh, the connection got kind of spotty over there. Yeah. Um, but yeah. This has been a great conversation, Mark. Uh, thank you for sharing your thoughts. Cool. And for taking your time out of the day to come on. Yeah, happy to offer you my personal suggestions and opinions. None of this is actually medically uh, approved, okay? <laughs> All right, there's a disclaimer. For yeah, that's a disclaimer. In the recording here, we'll stick around for a bit after this.